The Darth tradition is a relic of the past. It represents what the Sith once were, not what we are now. Bane shook his head, dissatisfied with the answer. There has to be more to it than that, he said, stooping to retrieve the robe he had cast off at the start of their duel. Lord Khan wouldn't throw out the ancient traditions without justification. I see you won't be satisfied with the easy answer, Kasim said with a sigh, pulling on his own robe. Very well. To understand why the title is no longer used, you must understand what it truly represents. The Darth title was more than just a symbol of power. It was a claim of supremacy. It was used by those Dark Lords who have sought to enforce their will on the other Masters. It was a challenge, a warning to bow down or be destroyed. Bane already knew this from his studies, but he didn't think it was wise to interrupt. Instead, he crossed his legs and lowered himself into a sitting position, looking up at his master and just listening. Of course, few of the Dark Lords would ever submit to another's will for long. Kasim continued, Wherever one of our order took up the Darth title, deception and betrayal were always close at hand to snatch it away. There can be no peace for a master who dares to use the Darth name. Peace is a lie, Bane replied. There is only passion. Kasim raised an eyebrow in exasperation. Pace was a poor choice of words. What I meant was stability. Those masters who chose the Darth title spent as much time guarding against their supposed allies as they did battling the Jedi. Khan wanted to put an end to such wastefulness. From where he sat, it seemed to Bane as if the Blade Master was trying to convince himself as much as his student. Khan wants us to focus all our resources on our true enemy instead of one another, Kasim asserted. That is why we are all equals in the Brotherhood of Darkness. Equality is a myth to protect the weak, Bane argued. Some of us are strong in the Force, others are not. Only a fool believes otherwise. There are other reasons the Darth title was abandoned, Kasim insisted with just a hint of frustration. It attracted the attention of the Jedi, for one. It revealed our leaders to the enemy. It gave them easy targets to eliminate. Bane still wasn't convinced. The Jedi knew who the real leaders of the Sith were. Whether they called themselves Darth or Lord or Master made no difference. But he could tell the Twi'lek was uncomfortable with the discussion, and he knew enough to let the matter drop. Forgive me, Lord Kasim, he said, bowing his head. I meant no offense. I only sought to draw upon your wisdom to explain that which I could not understand myself. Kasim looked down at him with the same expression he had used when Bane had abruptly ended their duel a few moments earlier. Eventually he asked, So now you see the wisdom behind Lord Khan's decision to end the tradition? Of course. Bane lied. He's acting for the good of us all. As he rose to his feet, he thought, Khan's acting like one of the Jedi. Worrying about the greater good. Seeking to bring harmony and cooperation to our order. The dark side withers and dies under those conditions. Kasim stared at Bane as if he wanted to say more. In the end, however, he let it drop. That's enough for today, he said. In the distance, the sky had turned the faint gray of first light. 
dawn was only an hour away. The other students will be arriving for their training soon. Bane bowed once more before taking his leave. As he made his way down the temple steps, he realized that Kasim, for all his skill with the lightsaber, couldn't teach him what he really needed to know. The Twi'lek had turned his back on the past. He'd abandoned the individualistic roots of the Sith in favor of Khan's brotherhood. The mysteries of the dark side's true potential were beyond his reach, and likely beyond the reach of every master at the Academy. Githany could sense that something was troubling Bane. He was barely paying attention as she shared what she had learned from the Sith Masters in her most recent lessons. She didn't know what was bothering him. In truth, she didn't care. Unless it interfered with her own plans. Something's on your mind, Bane, she whispered. Lost in his thoughts, he took a moment to react. I'm sorry, Githany. What's wrong? She pressed, trying to sound genuinely concerned. What are you thinking about? He didn't answer at first. He seemed to be weighing his words carefully before speaking. Do you believe in the power of the dark side? He asked. Of course. And is it what you envisioned? Does the Academy live up to your expectations? Few things ever do. She replied with a hint of a smile. But I've learned a lot from Cordis and the others since I've come here. Things the Jedi could never have taught me. Bane gave a derisive snort. <laughs> Most of what I've learned has come from these books. He waved a hand at the shelves. She wasn't sure what to say next, so she said nothing. You once told me the Masters didn't know everything, Bane continued. You meant the Jedi Masters at the time, but I'm starting to believe it applies to the Sith as well. They were wrong to turn their backs on you, she said, seeing the opportunity she had long been waiting for. But you have to place your blame where it belongs. We both know who's responsible for doing this to you. Sirak, he said, spitting out the name as if it were poison. He must pay for what he did to you, Bane. We've waited long enough. It's time. Time for what? Githany allowed the hint of a tremor into her voice. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to challenge him in the dueling ring. What? Bane shook his head. Don't be stupid, Githany. He'll destroy you. Perfect, she thought. I have no choice, Bane, she said gravely. I've already told you I don't believe in the legend of the Sithari. Sirak may be the top student in the school, but he's not invincible. He may not be the Sithari, but he's still too strong for you. You can't face him in the dueling ring, Githany. I've studied him. I know how good he is. You can't beat him. She let his words hang in the air for a long time before dropping her head in defeat. What other choice is there? We have to destroy him. And the only way is by facing him in the dueling ring. Bane didn't reply right away. She knew he was mulling over another solution. They both knew there was only one possible course of action, one answer he would inevitably come to. They'd have to kill Sirak outside the ring, assassinate him. It was a blatant violation of the Academy's rules, and the consequences would be severe if they were caught. That's why it had to be Bane who came up with the idea. 
Once it was out there, Githany was confident she could maneuver him into performing the actual deed by himself. It was the perfect plan. Get rid of Sirak and have Bane assume all the risk. Later, she could accidentally tip off the Masters about Bane's involvement if she needed to. She wasn't so sure about that part of her plan anymore, though. She wasn't convinced she wanted to betray Bane, but she didn't mind manipulating him. He drew in a long breath, gathering himself to speak. She prepared herself to give a very convincing and very contrived exclamation of surprise. You can't face Sirak in the ring. But I can, he said. What? Githany's surprise was completely genuine. He nearly beat you to death last time. He'll kill you for sure this time. This time I intend to win. The way he spoke made Githany realize she was missing something. What's going on, Bane? She demanded. He hesitated a moment before admitting, I've been training with Lord Kasim in secret. That made sense, she saw. In fact, she should have figured it out on her own. Maybe you would have if you hadn't let Bane get to you. She chided herself. You knew you were starting to have feelings for him. You let them cloud your judgment. Out loud, she said, I don't like being played for a fool, Bane. Neither do I, he said. I'm not stupid, Githany. I know what you wanted from me. I know what you expected me to say. I will get my revenge on Sirak, but I'm taking my own path. Without even realizing it, she had begun chewing on her lower lip. When? Tomorrow morning. Just as you said you were going to. But you know I wasn't serious, and you know I am. Unbidden, Githany's finger began to twine itself in a lock of her hair. She pulled her arm down sharply as soon as she realized what she was doing. Bane reached out a hand and let it rest gently on her shoulder. You don't have to worry, he reassured her. Nobody will know you were involved. That's not what I'm worried about, she whispered. He tilted his head to one side, studying her closely to see if she was being honest with him. Much to her own surprise, she actually was. Bane must have sensed her sincerity because he leaned in close and kissed her softly on the lips. He drew back slowly, letting his hand slip from her shoulder. Without another word, he rose to his feet and made his way toward the door leading out of the archives. She watched him go in silence, then at the last second called out, Good luck, Bane. Be careful. He stopped, as if he'd taken a blaster bolt in the throat, his body rigid. I will, he replied, without looking back. And then he was gone. Moments later, Githany felt her face burning. She absently brushed away a tear coiling down her cheek, then brought her hand up slowly, staring in disbelief at the moisture smeared across her palm. Disgusted at her own weakness, she wiped the tear away on the folds of her cloak. She stood up from the chair and threw her shoulders back, bracing her spine and holding her head high and proud. So what if things hadn't quite gone according to plan? If Bane killed Sirak in the ring, her rival would still be dead. And if Bane failed, she could always find someone else to assassinate the Zabrak. It would all work out the same in the end. But as she marched smartly from the room, part of her knew that wasn't true. No matter how this played out, things were going to be very different from anything 
she had imagined. The morning sky was dark with storm clouds. Far in the distance, thunder could be heard rumbling across the empty plains that separated the temple from the Valley of the Dark Lords. Bane hadn't slept that night. After his confrontation with Githany, he'd returned to his room to meditate. Even that had proved difficult. His mind was churning with too many thoughts to properly focus. Memories of the gruesome beating he'd suffered kept forcing themselves to the fore, dragging doubt and the fear of failure behind them. So far, he'd managed to resist the whispers that threatened his resolve, and he'd stayed firm in his original plan. The apprentices were gathering, some casting sour glances at the clouds overhead. The temple roof was completely exposed to the elements, but no matter how wet, cold, and miserable the students got, they knew the drills and challenges would not be cancelled. A little rain was nothing to a Sith, Kasim was fond of saying. Bane found his place amid the throng in preparation for the group drills. The apprentices around him studiously ignored his presence. It had been this way ever since his loss to Sirak. He was shunned. He had become anathema to the other students. Though he trained with them in all the group sessions, it was as if he didn't really exist. He was a silent shadow, lurking on the fringes, excluded in spirit, if not an actual physical presence. He scanned the crowd for Githany, but when he caught her eye, she quickly looked away. Still, he found her presence reassuring. He believed she wanted him to succeed, or at least part of her did. He believed that some of what they felt for each other was more than just part of the game they had both been playing. As the drills began, he made a point not to look over at Sirak. He had studied the Zabrak in excruciating detail over the past months. Anything he happened to notice now would only cause him to second-guess himself. Instead, he focused on his own technique. In the past, he had purposefully worked errors and mistakes into his routines during the drills in order to keep his growing talent hidden from any student who might happen to cast a glance in his direction. Now, however, the time for secrecy was gone. After the challenges today, everyone would know what he was capable of, or he would be dead and forgotten forever. The rain began to come down. Slowly at first, fat, heavy drops spaced enough apart that he could make out the sound as each one landed. Then the clouds opened up, and the rain came in a steady, pounding rhythm. Bane barely even noticed. He'd escaped inside himself, digging down deep to confront his fear. As his body went through the motions of basic attack and defense stances, along with the rest of the class, he slowly transformed the fear into anger. It was impossible for Bane to say how long the training session lasted. It seemed to go on forever. But in actual fact, Kasim probably kept it brief in light of the steady downpour soaking his charges. By the time it ended, and the apprentices had gathered into the familiar circle around the dueling ring, the young man had turned his seething anger into white-hot hate. As he had done the last time he challenged Sirak, he entered the ring before anyone else had a chance to act, pushing his way through the crowd from his position on the outermost edge. There was a murmur of surprise when the others recognized who had stepped forward. He could feel the dark side churning inside him, a storm far fiercer than the one pelting down on him from the sky. It was time for his hate to set him free. Sirak! He shouted, 
his voice carrying over the rising wind. I challenge you! Chapter 17 Bane's challenge hung in the air, as if the relentless sheets of rain had somehow trapped his words. Through the darkness of the storm he saw the crowd part, and Sirak stepped slowly forward. The Zabrak moved with a quiet confidence. Bane had hoped the unexpected challenge might unsettle his enemy. If he could rattle Sirak, catch him off guard or confuse him, he would have an advantage before the fight even began. But if his opponent felt anything at all, he kept it carefully masked beneath a cold, calm veneer. Sirek handed his long, double-bladed training saber to Yivra, one of the Zabrak siblings who always seemed to follow in his wake, then stripped off his heavy rain-soaked cloak. Beneath his robes he wore a simple pair of breeches and a sleeveless vest. Without a word, he held out his balled-up cloak, and Loke, the other Zabrak, scampered out from the crowd and took it from him. Then Yivra scurried in to return his weapon to his open and waiting hand. Bane peeled off his own cloak and let it drop to the ground, trying to ignore the cold sting of the rain on his naked torso. He hadn't really expected Sirak to be flustered by his challenge, but at the very least he'd hoped the Zabrak would be overconfident. There was, however, a ruthless efficiency in Sirak's preparation, an economy and precision of movement that told Bane he was taking this duel very seriously. Sirak was arrogant, but he was no fool. He was smart enough to understand that Bane wouldn't challenge him again unless he thought he had some plan for victory. Until he understood what that plan was, he wasn't going to take his opponent for granted. Bane knew he could probably beat Sirak now. Like Githany, he didn't believe in the legend of a chosen one who would rise up from the Sith ranks. He was convinced Sirak was not in fact the Sithari. He didn't want to just beat him, however. He wanted to destroy him, just as Sirak had destroyed him in their last meeting. But Sirak was too good. He'd never leave himself exposed the way Bane had, not at first. Not unless Bane somehow lured him into it. Across the ring, Sirak assumed the ready position. His rain-slicked skin seemed to glow in the darkness, a yellow demon emerging from the shadows of a nightmare into reality's harsh light. Bane leapt forward, opening the melee with a series of complex, aggressive attacks. He moved quickly, but not too quickly. There were gasps of astonishment from the crowd at his obvious and unexpected skill though Sirak turned aside his assault easily enough. In response to the inevitable counterattack, Bane let himself stagger back into a stumbling retreat. For a brief instant, he saw his opponent overextend, leaving his right arm vulnerable to a strike that would have ended the contest right then and there. Fighting his own finely honed instincts, Bane held back. He'd worked too long and too hard to claim victory with a simple blow to the arm. The battle continued in the familiar rhythm of combat the ebb and flow of attack and defense. Bane made sure his attacks were effective, yet crude, trying to convince his enemy that he was a dangerous, but ultimately inferior opponent. 
each time he warded off one of Sirak's charges, he embellished his defensive maneuvers, transforming quick parries into long, clumsy swipes that seemed to keep the double-bladed saber at bay as much as through blind luck as intention. With the surge and swell of each exchange, Bane gently prodded with the force, testing and searching for a weakness he could exploit. It took only a few minutes until he recognized it. Despite his training, the Zabrak had no real experience in long, drawn-out battles. None of his opponents had ever lasted long enough to truly push him. Imperceptibly, the strikes of his foe became less crisp, the counters less precise, and the transitions less elegant as Sirak gradually wore down. The fog of exhaustion was slowly clouding his mind, and they knew it was only a matter of time until he made a crucial and fatal miscalculation. Yet even though he was battling the Zabrak, Bane's real struggle was with himself. Time and again he had to pull back to keep from lunging through an opening presented by his enemy's increasingly desperate assault. He understood that the crushing victory he sought would only come through patience, a virtue not normally encouraged in followers of the dark side. In the end, his patience was rewarded. Sirak became more and more frustrated as he continually tried and failed to bring his bumbling, stumbling opponent down. As the prolonged physical exertion began to take its toll, his swings became wild and reckless until he abandoned all pretense of defense in an effort to end the duel he sensed was slipping away from him. When the Zabrak's desperation turned to hopelessness, every impulse in Bane screamed with the desire to take the initiative and end the fight. Instead, he'd let the tantalizing closeness of Sirak's defeat feed his appetite for vengeance. The hunger grew with each passing second until it became a physical pain, tearing away at his insides. The dark side filled him and he felt it on the verge of ripping him apart, splitting his skin and gushing out like a fountain of black blood. He waited until the last possible second before unleashing the energy bottled up inside him in a tremendous rush of power. He channeled it through his muscles and limbs, moving so fast it seemed as if time had stopped for the rest of the world. In the blink of an eye, he knocked the saber from Sirak's hand, sliced down to shatter his forearm, then spun through and brought his saber crashing into his opponent's lower leg. It splintered under the impact, and Sirak screamed as a shard of gleaming white bone sliced through muscle, sinew, and finally, skin. For an instant, none of the spectators was even aware of what had happened. It took their minds a moment to catch up and register the blur of action that had occurred so much quicker than their eyes could see. Sirak lay crumpled on the ground, writhing in agony and clutching with his one good hand at the chunk of bone protruding from his shin. Bane hesitated a split second before moving in to finish him off, savoring the moment and giving Cassim the opportunity to intervene. Enough! The Blade Master shouted, and the apprentice obeyed, freezing a saber, even in the act of chopping it down on his helpless foe. It's over, Bane. Slowly, Bane lowered his saber and stepped away. The fury and focus that had turned him into a conduit of the Dark Side's unstoppable power was gone, replaced by a hyper-conscious awareness of his physical surroundings. He was standing atop the temple roof in the middle of a raging storm, drenched in cold rain, 
his body half-frozen. He began to shiver. As he cast about the ground for his discarded cloak, he picked it up, but finding it soaked completely through, didn't bother to put it on. Kasim stepped from the crowd, smoothly placing himself between Bane and the helpless Abrak. You have witnessed an amazing victory today, he told the assembled throng, shouting to be heard above the pounding rain. Bane's triumph was as much a result of his brilliant strategy as his superior skill. Bane was barely listening to the words. He merely stood in the center of the ring, silent, save for the chattering of his teeth. He was patient and careful. He didn't just want to defeat his opponent. He wanted to destroy him. He achieved Dun Mok, not because he was better than Sirak, but because he was smarter. The Blade Master reached out a hand and placed it on Bane's bare shoulder. Let this be a lesson to you all, he concluded. Secrecy can be your greatest weapon. Keep your true strength hidden until you are ready to unleash the killing blow. He let go of Bane's shoulder and whispered, You should go inside before you catch a chill. Then he turned to address the stuns of Brack's siblings standing at the edge of the circled students. Take Sirak down to the med center. As they moved forward to carry their moaning and barely conscious champion away, Bane turned toward the stairs. Kasim was right. He had to get out of the rain. Feeling strangely surreal, he walked stiffly toward the stairs that led into the warmth and shelter of the rooms below. The crowd parted quickly to let him through. Most of the other apprentices were staring at him with expressions of fear and open wonder, yet he barely noticed. He descended the steps to the temple's main floor, walking in a stupor that was broken only when he heard Githany call his name. Bane! she shouted, and he turned to see her hurrying down the stairs after him. Her drenched hair was plastered haphazardly to her face and forehead. Her soaked clothes clung tightly to her body, accentuating every curve of her shapely form. She was breathing hard, though whether from excitement or the exertion of catching up to him, he couldn't say. He waited at the base of the stairs as she approached. She ran down the steps toward him, and for a moment he thought she would continue on into his arms. At the last second, she stopped, however, and stood mere centimeters from him. Githany took a second to catch her breath before she spoke. When she did, her words were harsh, though her voice was low. What happened up there? Why didn't you kill him? Part of him had been expecting this reaction, though another part of him was hoping she had come to congratulate him on his victory. He couldn't help but feel disappointed. He sent me to the Bacta tank in our first duel. Now I've done the same to him, he replied. That's vengeance. That's foolish, she shot back. You think Sirak's going to just forget about this? He'll come after you again, Bane. Just like you came after him. That's the way this works. You missed your chance to put a permanent end to this feud. And I want to know why. My blade was raised for the killing blow, Bane reminded her. Lord Kasim stepped in before I could finish Sirak off. The Masters don't want one of their top students to end up dead. No, she said, shaking her head. Your blade was raised, but Kasim didn't stop you. You hesitated. Something held you back. Bane knew she was right. 
He had hesitated. He just wasn't sure why. He tried to explain it to Githany and himself. I've already killed one foe in the ring. Cordus chastised me for Forhark's death. He warned me not to let it happen again. I guess. I guess I was worried about what the Masters would do to me if I killed another apprentice. Githany's eyes narrowed in anger. I thought we'd finally stopped lying to each other, Bane. It wasn't a lie. Not exactly. But it wasn't entirely accurate either. He shifted uncomfortably, feeling guilty beneath her furious glare. You couldn't do it, she said, reaching out and jabbing him hard in the chest with her finger. You felt the dark side swallowing you up, and you pulled back. Now it was Bane's turn to get angry. You're wrong, he snapped, swiping her accusing hand away. I retreated from the dark side after I killed Foharg. I know how that felt. This is different. His words carried the righteous weight of truth. Last time, he'd felt hollow inside, as if something had been taken from him. This time, he could still feel the force flowing through him in all its savage glory, filling him with its heat and power. This time, the dark side remained his to command. Githany wasn't convinced. You still aren't willing to give yourself fully to the dark side, she said. Sirak showed weakness, and you showed him mercy. That's not the way of the Sith. What do you know of the ways of the Sith? He shouted. I'm the one who's read the ancient texts, not you! You're stuck learning from masters who've forgotten their past. Where in the ancient texts does it say to show compassion to a fallen enemy? She asked, her voice dripping with scorn. Stung by the words, Bane shoved her sharply backward and turned away. She took a quick step to balance herself, but kept her distance. You're just angry because your plan fell apart, he muttered, suddenly unwilling to face her. He wanted to say more, but he knew the rest of the students would be down soon. He didn't want anyone to see them talking together, so he simply walked away and left her standing there alone. Githany followed him with cold, calculating eyes. She'd been impressed watching him toy with Sirak in the ring, He'd seemed invincible. But when he'd failed to kill the helpless Abrak, she was quick to recognize and identify what had happened. It was a flaw in Bane's character. A weakness he refused to recognize. Yet it was there nonetheless. Once the passion of the moment had faded, once he was no longer driven by the dark side, his seething bloodlust had cooled. He hadn't even been able to kill his most hated enemy without provocation, which meant he probably wouldn't be able to kill Githany if it ever came down to it. Knowing this changed the nature of their relationship once again. Recently, she'd begun to fear Bane, afraid that if he ever turned on her, she wouldn't be strong enough to stand against him. Now she knew that this would never happen. He simply wasn't capable of killing an ally without justification. Fortunately, she didn't have the same limitations. Bane was still thinking about what Githany had said later that night as he lay in bed unable to sleep. Why hadn't he been able to kill Sirak? 
Was she right? Had he pulled back out of some misguided sense of compassion? He wanted to believe he had embraced the dark side, but if he had, he would have cut Sirak down without a second thought, no matter what the consequences. However, it was more than this that was bothering him. He was frustrated by how he'd left things with Githany. He was undeniably drawn to her. She was hypnotic and compelling. Each time she brushed up against him, he felt chills down his spine. Even when they were apart, he often thought of her, memories lingering like the scent of her intoxicating perfume. At night, her long black hair and dangerous eyes haunted his dreams. And he honestly believed she felt something for him, too, though he doubted she would ever admit it. Yet as close as they'd become during their secret lessons together, they'd never consummated their yearning. It just seemed wrong while Sirak was still the top apprentice at the academy. Defeating him had been the underlying goal for each of them. Neither one had wanted any distractions from that goal. He was a common foe that united them to a single cause. But in many ways, he had also been a wall, keeping them apart. Taking Sirak down should have leveled that wall into rubble. But Bane had seen the disappointment in Githany's face after the battle. He'd promised to kill their enemy and she'd believed in him. Yet in the end, his actions had proved he wasn't up to her expectations, and the wall between them had suddenly grown much, much stronger. Someone knocked softly at the door of his chamber. It was well after curfew. None of the apprentices had any reason to be in the halls. He could think of only one person who might be wandering the halls at this hour. Leaping from his bed, he crossed the floor in one quick stride and yanked open the door. He quickly masked his disappointment at seeing Lord Cassim standing beyond the threshold. The Blade Master stepped through the open door without waiting for an invitation. He gave Bane a nod that told him to close it once he was inside. Bane did as he was bidden, wondering at the purpose of the unannounced late-night visit. I have something for you, the Twilik said, brushing away the folds of his cloak and reaching for his lightsaber on his belt. No, Bane realized, not his lightsaber. The handle of Cassim's weapon was noticeably longer than most, allowing it to house two crystals, one to power each blade. This hilt was smaller, and it was fashioned with a strange curve, giving it a hooked appearance. The blade master ignited the lightsaber. Its single blade burned a dark red. This was the weapon of my master, he told Bane. As a young child, I would watch for hours as my master performed his drills. My earliest memories are of dancing ruby lights moving through the sequences of battle. You don't remember your parents? Bane asked, surprised. Kasim shook his head. My parents were sold in the slave markets of Nalhuta. That's where Master Nadars found me. He noticed my family on the auction blocks. Perhaps he was drawn to them because we were Twi'leks like himself. Even though I was barely old enough to stand, Master Nadars could sense the force in me. He purchased me and took me back to Ryloth to raise me as his apprentice among our own people. What happened to your parents? I don't know, Cassim replied with an indifferent shrug. They had no special connection to the force, so my master saw no reason to purchase them. They were weak, and so... They were left behind. 
He spoke casually as if the knowledge that his parents had lived and probably died as slaves in the service of the huts had no effect on him whatsoever. In a way, his apathy was understandable. He'd never known his parents, so he had no emotional ties to them, good or bad. Bane briefly wondered how his own life might have been different if he had been raised by someone else. If Hurst had been killed in the Cortosis mines when he was just an infant, would he still have ended up here at the Academy on Korriban? My master was a great Sith Lord, Kasim continued. He was particularly adept in the arts of lightsaber combat, a skill he passed on to me. He taught me how to use the double-bladed lightsaber, though as you can see, he preferred a more traditional design for himself. Except for the handle, of course. The blade flickered out of existence as he shut off the weapon and tossed it to Bane, who caught it easily, wrapping his hand around the hooked handle. It feels strange, he muttered. It requires a minor variation in your grip, Kasim explained. Hold it more in the palm, farther away from the fingertips. Bane did as instructed, letting his body grow accustomed to the odd heft and balance. Already his mind was beginning to run through the implications of the new grip. It would give the wielder more power on his overhand strikes, and it would change the angle of the attacks by the merest fraction of a degree just enough to confuse and disorient an unsuspecting opponent. Some moves are more difficult with this particular weapon, Kasim warned, but many others are far more effective. In the end, I think you'll find this lightsaber will suit your personal style quite well. You're giving this to me? Bane asked incredulously. Today, you proved you were worthy of it. There was just a hint of pride in the Blade Master's voice. Bane ignited it, listening to the sweet hum of the power pack and the crackling hiss of the energy blade. He performed a few simple flourishes, then abruptly shut it off. Does Cordus approve? The decision is mine, not his, Kasim stated. He almost sounded offended. I haven't held on to this blade for ten years, just so Cordus can decide who I give it to. Bane answered with a respectful bow, fully aware of the great honor that Kasim had just bestowed upon him. To fill the uncomfortable silence that followed, he asked, Your master gave you this when he died? I took it when I killed him. Bane was so stunned that he couldn't cover his reaction. The blade master saw it and smiled slightly. I had learned everything I could from Master Nadaz. As strong as he was in the dark side, I was stronger. As skilled as he was with the lightsaber, I became better. But why kill him? Bane asked. A test. To see if I was as strong as I believed. This was before Lord Khan rose to power. We were still trapped in the old ways. Sith versus Sith, master versus apprentice. Foolishly pitting ourselves against one another to prove our dominance. Fortunately, the Brotherhood of Darkness put an end to all that... Not completely, Bane muttered, thinking of Thorharg and Sirak. The weak still fall to the strong. It's inevitable. Kasim tilted his head to the side, trying to gauge the meaning behind his words. Don't allow yourself to be blinded by this honor, he warned. You are not ready to challenge me, young apprentice. I have taught you everything you know, but I haven't taught you everything I know. Bane couldn't help but smile. 
The notion of facing Kasim in a real fight was preposterous. He knew he was no match for the Blade Master. Not yet. I will keep that in mind, Master. Satisfied, Kasim turned to go. Just before Bane closed the door behind him, he added, Lord Cordis wants to see you first thing in the morning. Go to his chambers before the morning drills. Even the sobering prospect of meeting with the Academy's grim overseer couldn't dampen Bane's elated spirit. As soon as he was alone in his room, he reignited the lightsaber and began practicing his sequences. It was many hours before he finally put the weapon away and crawled wearily into bed. All thoughts of Githany long banished from his mind. Chapter 18 Bane had missed the morning practice session. It wasn't hard for Kasim to figure out who was responsible for his absence. He didn't bother to knock on Lord Cordes' door. He simply used the force to burst apart the lock, then kicked it open. Unfortunately, the element of surprise he'd been hoping for had been lost. Cordes had his back to the door, examining one of the magnificent tapestries that hung beside his oversized bed. He didn't turn when the Blade Master burst in. He didn't react at all, which meant he'd been expecting the intrusion. Kasim gestured violently with his hand, and the door slammed shut. What he was about to say wasn't for the ears of the students. What in blazes did you do, Cordis? I assume you are referring to Apprentice Bane, came the too casual reply. Of course I griffing mean Bane. No more games, Cordis. What did you do to him? To him? Nothing. Not in the way you're thinking. I merely tried to reason with him. Tried to make him understand the necessity of working within the structure of this institution. You manipulated him, Kasim said with a sigh of resignation. He knew Cordes had no fondness for Bane. Not with Lord Kopesh, his longtime rival, being the one who brought him here. The Blade Master realized he should have warned the young apprentice to be on his guard. You twisted his mind somehow he continued, trying to draw out a reaction. You forced him down a path you wanted him to take. A path of ruin. There was no immediate reply. Tired of staring at Cordes's back, he stepped forward and reached up to grab the taller man by the shoulder, whirling him around to face him. Why, Cordis? In the first brief second that the overseer of the academy was spun around, Kasim caught a glimpse of uncertainty and confusion in the gaunt-drawn features. Then, those features twisted into a mask of rage, dark eyes burning in sunken sockets. Cordis slapped Kasim's hand away. Ben brought this on himself. He was willful, obsessed with the past. He is of no use to us until he accepts the teachings of this academy. Kasim was taken aback. Not by the sudden outburst, but by the unexpected glimpse of uncertainty that had preceded it. Suddenly he wondered if maybe the meeting hadn't gone exactly as planned. Perhaps Chorus had tried to manipulate Bane and failed. It wouldn't be the first time they'd underestimated their unusual apprentice. Now Kasim felt more curious than angry. Tell me what happened, Cordis. Where is Bane now? Cordis sighed, almost regretful. Ah, he's gone into the wastelands. He's heading for the Valley of the Dark Lords. 
What? Why would he do that? I told you, he is obsessed with the past. He believes there are secrets out there that will be revealed to him. Secrets of the dark side. Did you warn him of the dangers? The Pelko swarms, the Tukata, and never gave me a chance. He wouldn't have listened anyway. That much at least Kasim believed. Yet he wasn't sure if he trusted the rest of Cordis' story. The master of the academy was subtle, crafty. It would be just like him to trick someone into venturing through the deadly valley of the Dark Lords. If he wanted to eliminate Bane without being held accountable, this would be one of the ways to do it. Except for one small thing. He's going to survive, Kasim stated. He's stronger than you know. If he survives, Cordis replied, turning back to the tapestry. He will learn the truth. There are no secrets in the valley. Not anymore. Everything of value has been taken. Stripped away first by Sith seeking to preserve our order, and later by Jedi seeking to wipe it out. There is nothing left in the tombs but hollow chambers and mounds of dust. Once he sees this for himself, he will give up his foolish idealization of the ancient Sith. Only then will he be ready to join the Brotherhood of Darkness. The conversation was over, that much was clear. Cordis's words made sense. If this was all part of a larger lesson to make Bane finally abandon the old ways and accept the new Sith Order and Khan's Brotherhood. Yet as he turned and left the room, Kasim couldn't shake the feeling that Cordis was rationalizing events after the fact. Cordis wanted others to believe he had been in control the whole time. But the haunted look the Blademaster had glimpsed gave evidence to the real truth. Cordis had been scared by something Bane had done or said. That thought brought a smile to the Twi'lek's lips. He had every confidence Bane would survive his journey into the Valley of the Dark Lords, and he was very interested to see what would happen when the young man returned. Sirak was moving gingerly. He spent the past 36 hours in the Bacta tank, and though his injuries were completely healed, his body still instinctively reacted to the memories of the wounds inflicted by Bane's saber. Slowly, he gathered up his personal effects, anxious to return to the familiar surroundings of his own room and leave the solitude of the med center behind. One of the med droids floated in, bringing him a pair of pants, a shirt, and a dark apprentice's robe. The clothes smelled of disinfectant. It was common practice to sterilize everything before bringing it into the med center. The garments fit, but he knew as soon as he put them on that they had never been worn before. He hadn't seen a single being other than the Medroid since being carried unconscious from the dueling ring. Nobody had come to check up on him while he'd floated in the healing fluid. Not Cordis, not Kasim, not even Loke or Yivra. He didn't blame them. The Sith despised weakness and failure. Whenever apprentices lost in the dueling ring, they were left alone with the shame of their defeat until strong enough to resume their studies. It happened to everyone sooner or later, except... It had never before happened to Sirak. He had been invincible, untouchable, the top apprentice in every discipline. He'd heard the rumors and the whispers. They called him the Sithari, the perfect being. Only they wouldn't be calling him the Sithari now. 
not after what Bane had done to him. He turned to the door and found Githany standing there, watching him. What do you want? He asked warily. He knew who she was, though he'd never actually spoken to her. On the day of her arrival, he'd identified her as a potential threat. He'd watched her, and he'd seen her watching him, each measuring and gauging the other, trying to determine who had the upper hand. Sirak was wary of all potential challengers, or so he had thought, until the one student he'd feared the least had brought him down. I came to speak to you, she answered, about Bane. He twitched involuntarily at the name, then cursed himself for his reaction. If Githany had noticed, she gave no indication. What about him? He asked curtly. I am curious as to what your plans are now. How are you going to handle the situation? It was a struggle to summon up his old arrogance, yet somehow he managed a satisfactory sneer. My plans are my own. Are you going to seek revenge? She pressed. In time, perhaps. He finally admitted, I can help you. She took a step farther into the room. Even in that single step, Sira could see that she moved with the sensual grace of a Zeltron veil dancer. He narrowed his eyes suspiciously. Why? I helped Bane defeat you, she said. I recognized his potential from the moment I first saw him. When Cordis and the other masters turned their backs on him, I secretly taught him their lessons in the Force. I knew the dark side was strong in him. Stronger than in me. Stronger than in you. Maybe even stronger than in the Masters themselves. Sira couldn't see the point of her story. You still haven't answered my question. You got what you wanted out of Bane. Why help me now? She shook her head sadly. I was wrong about Bane. I thought if I helped him grow stronger, he would embrace the dark side. Then I could learn from him and gain power of my own. But he is incapable of embracing the dark side. Everyone else believes his triumph over you was a great victory. Only I recognized it as a failure. She was toying with him, mocking him, and he didn't like it. No one ever beat me in the dueling ring before Bane, he snapped. How can you call him a failure? You're still alive, she said simply. When the moment came to strike you down and end your life, he hesitated. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He was weak. Intrigued, Sirak didn't respond right away. Instead, he waited for her to elaborate. He plotted and planned for months to take his revenge on you, she continued. His hate gave him the strength to surpass you, and at the last instant, he showed mercy and let you live. I left him alive at the end of our first duel, Sirak reminded her. That was no act of mercy, it was an act of contempt. You thought you had utterly destroyed him. If you knew he would rise up to one day challenge you again, you would have taken his life, regardless of the rules of the Academy. You underestimated him. A mistake I know you won't make again. But Bane does not underestimate you. He knows you are powerful enough to represent a true threat. Yet still, he left you alive, knowing you would one day seek revenge against him. He's either a weakling or a fool, she concluded, and I want no part of either. 
There was some truth in what she said, but Sirak still wasn't convinced. You change allegiances too quickly, Githany, even for a Sith. She was silent for a long time, trying to figure out how to answer him. Then suddenly she looked down at the floor, and when she looked up, her eyes were filled with shame and humiliation. It was Bane who ended this alliance, not me, she admitted, nearly choking on the words. He abandoned me, she continued, making no attempt to hide her bitterness. He left the academy. He never told me why. He never even said goodbye. Suddenly, everything fell into place. Sirak understood her sudden desire to join with him in a partnership against her former ally. Githany was used to being in control. She was used to being in charge. She was used to being the one who ended things. And she didn't like being on the other side. It was like the old Corellian expression, fear the wrath of a female scorned. Where did he go? He asked. The students are saying Cordis sent him out into the Valley of the Dark Lords. Sirak nearly blurted out, then he's dead already. But at the last second, he remembered her admonishment not to underestimate Bane again. Instead, he said, you expect he will return. I'm certain of it. Then we will be ready. Sirak promised, when he comes back, we will destroy him. As Bane marched across the scorched sand of Korriban's wastelands, he noticed the sun sinking quickly below the horizon. He'd been walking for hours beneath its heat. The small city of Dreshta and the temple that towered over it were far behind him. They had been reduced to mere specks on the horizon. If he was to look back, he would have just been able to make them out in the fading light. He didn't look back. He marched doggedly onward. The blazing heat hadn't slowed him, neither would temperatures that were about to drop to near freezing with the setting of the sun. Physical discomfort, cold, heat, thirst, hunger, fatigue, had no significant effect on him, sustained as he was by the power of the Force. Still, he was troubled. He remembered the first time he'd set foot on Korriban. He'd sensed the power of the world. Korriban was alive with the dark side, yet the feeling had been faint and distant. During his time at the Academy, he'd grown so accustomed to the almost subconscious hum that he barely even noticed it anymore. When he'd left the temple and the starport behind, he'd expected that feeling to grow stronger. With each step drawing him closer to the Valley of the Dark Lords, he thought he'd feel the dark side growing in its intensity. Instead, he'd felt nothing. No noticeable change at all. He was only a few kilometers away from the valley's entrance, he could see the shaded outlines of the nearest tombs carved from the stone walls. And still, the dark side was no stronger than a hollow echo. No more than the lingering memory of distant words spoken in the distant past. Pushing his doubts and reservations aside, he redoubled his pace. He wanted to reach the valley before complete darkness. He had grabbed a handful of glow rods before leaving the academy. He could use them to find his way if necessary. Unfortunately, their light would act like a beacon in the darkness, signaling his location to anyone or anything. With his new lightsaber at his side, he was confident he could survive almost any encounter. 
But there were things that lurked near the tombs whose attention he would rather not attract. The last few rays of light still hung in the air when he finally reached his destination. The Valley of the Dark Lord's sleigh sprawled out before him, hidden beneath the cover of Twilight's gloom. He briefly considered stopping for the night and making camp until dawn, then rejected the idea. Day or night would make no difference once he was inside the tombs. He'd have to use the glow rods no matter what time it was. And now that he was finally here, he was too eager to see what he could find to put it off any longer. He chose the nearest temple, the only one he could actually make out in the dim light. Like all the tombs, this one had been dug out from the high stone cliffs that boxed in the valley on either side. The grand archway at the entrance had been built out from the cliff face, but the chambers that housed the remains of the Dark Lord interred within wound their way deep into the rock. As he got closer, he could make out intricate designs carved into the archway. Something was written across the top in letters he didn't recognize. He guessed that the craftsmanship would have been awe-inspiring at one time, but eons of desert winds had worn away most of the detail. He paused on the threshold, taking in the air of forbidden mystery that surrounded the entrance to the tomb. He still sensed no change in the force, however. Stepping up to the entrance, he was shocked to see that the great stone slab of a door had been split asunder. He ran his fingers along the edges of the fissure. Smooth, worn. Whoever had broken the door had done it long ago. Bane stood up straight and marched boldly through the shattered portal. He made his way down the long entrance tunnel, moving slowly through the gloom. Half a dozen meters in, the darkness became absolute. So he pulled out a glow rod and activated it. An eerie blue light filled the tunnel, sending a small swarm of deadly pelco bugs scurrying for refuge beyond the dim circle of illumination. They had been stalking him, closing in from all sides. He could still sense them there, lurking in the shadows all around him. But he wasn't afraid. After all, it wasn't the light keeping them at bay. Pelco bugs, like many of the creatures indigenous to Korriban, were attuned to the Force. They would have sensed Bane's arrival even before he entered the tomb. His power would inevitably draw them in. Yet it also kept them and their paralyzing spines at a safe distance. Instinctively, the Pelco bugs could sense the sheer scope of his power. They were wary of him. They wouldn't come close enough to actually attack him, making them nothing more than a nuisance. Larger predators, like the Tukata, might pose a real threat. But he'd deal with them if and when the time came. Right now, he was more concerned with the potential dangers the builders of the tomb might have left behind. Sith mausoleums were notorious for their fiendishly lethal traps. Bane reached out with the Force, carefully probing the walls, ground, and ceiling in front of him for anything out of the ordinary. He was relieved and slightly disappointed to discover nothing. Part of him had hoped he would stumble across an undiscovered chamber, something the Jedi had missed. He continued down the tunnel, winding his way past various chambers where the wealth and treasures would have been buried with the deceased Dark Lord, along with his still-living lesser servants. The rooms held no interest for him. He wasn't a grave robber. Instead, he continued deeper and deeper until he reached the burial chamber itself. The Pelco bug smashed his progress, endlessly circling just beyond the blue illumination cast by his glow rod. 
he could hear the high-pitched clicking of the frustrated swarm, powerless to assail their prey, yet irresistibly caught up in the wake of his passing. The burial chamber was easily identifiable by the enormous stone sarcophagus in the center of the room, resting atop a small stone pedestal. It was little more than a blocky shadow on the fringes of the glow rod's light, but it filled him with a sense of both fear and awe. Still using the force to scan for traps, he cautiously approached the tomb, his trepidation growing as the blue light washed over it to reveal more and more details. The stone was carved with symbols similar to those on the crypt's entrance, but these hadn't suffered untold centuries of erosion. They stood out, starkly, brutal, and sharp. He couldn't read the unfamiliar language or identify the Dark Lord from the crest, yet he knew this was the resting place of an ancient and mighty being. He reached the platform. It stood a little higher than his knee. He put one foot on it, then reached out to grip a protruding edge of one of the carved symbols on the side of the sarcophagus itself. He half expected to receive a sharp jolt or shock, but all he felt was cold stone beneath his palm. Using his hold to maintain his balance, he hauled himself up so that he was standing with both feet on the platform, looking down at the top of the tomb. To his horror, he could now see that the stone slab sealing the sarcophagus had been virtually destroyed. Whatever had been inside was gone, replaced by rubble, dust, and a few bits of broken bone that might once have been the fingers or toes of the Dark Lord's skeletal remains. He stepped down from the platform, frustrated but still not willing to give up. Slowly he turned in a great circle, as if he expected to find the stolen remains lying in a corner of the burial chamber. There was nothing. The tomb had been robbed and defiled. Bane hadn't been sure what he expected to find, but it wasn't this. The spirits of the ancient Dark Lords were beings of pure dark side energy. They were as eternal as the Force itself. The spirit would linger for centuries, millennia even, until a worthy successor came along. Or so the texts in the archive had led him to believe. Yet the harsh evidence before him was undeniable. The ancient manuscripts had failed him. He had gambled everything on the truth of their words, even defying Cordus himself, and he had lost. In desperation, he cast his head back and threw his arms to the uneven rock of the ceiling above. I'm here, master, he cried. I've come to learn your secrets. He paused, listening for a response. Hearing nothing, he shouted, Show yourself! By all the power of the dark side, show yourself! His words reverberated off the walls, sounding empty and hollow. He dropped to his knees, his arms falling to his sides and his head slumping forward. As the echo died away, the only sound was the shrill clicking of the Pelco bugs. Kopej spit on the ground as he surveyed the camp. He was surrounded by an army, but it was an army of inferiors. Everywhere he looked, he saw the minions of the Sith, battle ragers, assassins, and apprentices. But there were precious few Sith masters. The seemingly endless war against the Jedi on the battlefields of Rusan was taking a heavy toll on Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness. Without reinforcements, they would be forced to retreat, 
or be wiped out by General Hoth and his hated army of light. The heavyset Twi'lek rose to his feet, spurred to action by the realization that something had to be done. He made his way through scattered pockets of soldiers, noticing how many were injured, exhausted, or simply defeated. By the time he reached the entrance to Lord Khan's tent, the contempt he felt for his so-called brothers had reached a boiling point. When Kopej entered, Lord Khan took one look at him and dismissed his other advisors with a sharp wave of his hand. They filed out, none of them daring to come too close. What is it, my old friend? Khan asked. His voice was charming as ever, but his eyes were wide and wild like a hunted beast. Have you seen what passes for our army out there? Kopesh snarled, poking a thumb over his shoulder as he walked slowly forward. If this is all we have to stand against Lord Hoth, we may as well burn our black robes and start practicing the Jedi Code. We have reinforcements coming, Lord Khan assured him. Two more full divisions of foot soldiers, another corps of snipers, half a platoon of repulsor craft armed with heavy guns. There are many who are drawn to the glory of our cause, more and more each day. The Brotherhood of Darkness cannot fail. Kopesh took a little comfort in his promises. Lord Khan had always been the strength of the Brotherhood of Darkness, a man who had rallied the Dark Lords to a single cause through the greatness of his personality and vision. Now, however, he looked like a man on the edge. The strain of constantly battling the Jedi had left him frazzled. Kopej shook his head in disgust. I am not one of your sycophantic advisors, he said, his voice rising. I won't grovel and scrape before you, Lord Khan. I won't heap praise on your fool head when I can see with my own eyes that you are leading us to our destruction. Keep your voice down, Khan snapped. You will destroy the morale of our troops. They have no morale left to destroy. Kopesh shot back, though he did lower his volume. We can't defeat Jedi with ordinary soldiers. There are too many of them and not enough of us. By us, you mean those worthy of joining the ranks of the Dark Lords, Khan replied. He sighed and stared down at the hollow map spread out on the table before him. You know what you have to do, Kopesh told him his voice losing some of the anger. He had chosen to follow Khan. He wouldn't abandon him now. But he wasn't about to sit idly by and face certain defeat. We face an army of Jedi Knights and Masters. We can't stand against them without our own Masters from the Academy. The students too. All of them. They are mere apprentices, Khan protested. They are the strongest of our order. Kopesh reminded him. We both know even the lowliest students on Korriban are stronger than half the so-called Dark Lords here on Rusan. Cordis's work is not yet complete. The students there still have so much to learn, Khan insisted, though without much force. So much untapped potential. The Academy represents the future of the Sith. If we cannot defeat the Jedi here on Rusan, then we have no future, Kopej insisted. Lord Khan clutched his head with his hands, as if a great pain threatened to burst his skull in two. He began to tremble in the grip of some terrible palsy. Kopej involuntarily stepped back. 
It only took a few seconds for Khan to regain his composure and lower his hands. The haunted look in his eyes was gone, replaced by the calm self-assurance that had drawn so many to the Brotherhood in the first place. You're right, old friend, he said. The words were smooth and easy. He spoke as if a great weight had been lifted from him. He radiated confidence and strength. He seemed to glow with a violet aura, as if he were the very embodiment of the dark side. And suddenly, inexplicably, Kopej was reassured. I will send word to Cortis, Khan continued, the force emanating from him in palpable waves. You are right. It is time for those at the Academy on Korriban to truly join the ranks of the Sith. Chapter 19 Bane had never been so hungry in his life. It twisted his stomach into knots, causing him to hunch over as he trudged slowly across Korriban's wastes toward Dreshta. For thirteen days, he had searched the tombs in the Valley of the Dark Lords, sustaining himself only with the Force and the hydration tablets he'd brought along for the desert journey. He never slept but rested his mind from time to time through meditation. Yet for all its power, even the Force couldn't create something from nothing. It could ward off starvation for a time, but not forever. Twice he'd been set on by packs of Tukata, the guardian hounds that prowled the crypts of their former masters. The first time he'd driven them away with the Force, seizing the body of the alpha male and hurling it into the rest of the pack, injuring several of the beasts. They'd scurried away with high-pitched howls that sent shivers down his spine. The second attack had been far bloodier. While exploring one of the most recent tombs, he'd found himself surrounded by a dozen Tukata, a pack twice the size of the first. He'd unleashed his lightsaber on them, slicing through flesh and bone. When the pack finally broke and fled, only four of the twelve Tukata still lived. After that, the Tukata left him alone, which was a good thing, because he was no longer sure he'd be able to hold them off if they attacked again. To fuel his muscles for the ongoing search through tomb after tomb, he'd overtaxed his body's reserves, literally devouring himself from the inside out. Now he was paying the price. He could have eased his suffering by slipping into a meditative trance, slowing his heartbeat and vital functions to preserve his energy. Yet in the end, that would accomplish nothing. Nobody would come to find him. And eventually, even a state of hibernation would end in a slow, if relatively painless, death. Death was not an option he was ready to consider. Not yet. Despite his futile search, despite the crushing disappointment, he wasn't ready for that. Not if it meant that the truth he'd discovered would die with him. So he endured the pain, and willed his rapidly failing flesh to take him back, back to the Academy. It had taken him only a day to walk to the valley at the beginning of his quest. He was now on the third day of his trip back. He had been strong and fresh when he'd first set out. Now, he was famished and weak. But there was more to his slowed pace than mere physical wanting. Before, he had been buoyed by expectation. Now, he was weighed down by the burden of failure. Cordis had been right. The ancient Dark Lords of Korriban were gone. Nearly 3,000 years had passed between the time the Sith had been driven from Korriban by Revan and the day Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness officially reclaimed this world for the Order. 
In that time, the legacy of the original Sith had been completely wiped away. He'd gone into the desert seeking enlightenment, but found only disillusionment. Korriban was no longer the Cradle of Darkness. It was a husk, a withered, desiccated corpse that had been picked clean by scavengers. Cordis had been right, yet Bane now understood that he was also very, very wrong. Bane hadn't found what he was looking for in the tombs, but in the long trek back across the desert, his mind had finally become clear. Hunger, thirst, exhaustion, the physical suffering cleansed his thoughts. It stripped away all his illusions and exposed the lies of Cordis and the Academy. The spirits of the Sith were gone from Korriban forever. But it was Lord Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness, not the Jedi, who were to blame. They had twisted and perverted the ancient order of the Sith. The Academy's teachings flew in the face of everything Bane had learned in the archives about the ways of the dark side. Khan had cast aside the true power of the individual and replaced it with the false glory of self-sacrifice in the name of a worthy cause. He sought to destroy the Jedi through might of arms rather than cunning. Worst of all, he proclaimed that all were equal in the Brotherhood of the Sith. But Bane knew equality was a myth. The strong were meant to rule, the weak to serve. The Brotherhood of Darkness stood for everything that was wrong with the modern Sith. They had fallen from the true path. Their failure was the reason the spirits of the Dark Lords had vanished. None on Korriban, not Master, not Apprentice, had been worthy of their wisdom. None worthy of their power. They had simply faded away, scattered like a handful of dust cast across the desert sand. Bane could see the truth so clearly now. Yet Cordis and the others were forever blind. They followed Khan, as if he had bound them up with some secret spell. A faint gust of wind brought the sound of distant voices to his ears. Glancing up, he was surprised to see the temple of the academy looming ahead of him, less than a kilometer away. Caught up in his philosophical ramblings, he hadn't realized how far he'd come. He was close enough to see small figures moving at the base of the building. Servants, or possibly a handful of students from the academy out wandering the surrounding grounds. One of them noticed him approaching and scurried back inside, probably to deliver news of his return to Cordis and the other masters. Bane wasn't sure what kind of reception they'd give him. In truth, he didn't care, as long as they brought him food. Beyond that, they were of no use to him anymore. He despised them all, masters and apprentices alike. They were no better than the Jedi who had looted Korriban three millennia before. The Academy was an abomination a testament to how far the Sith had fallen from the true ideals of the dark side. Bane alone understood this. He alone saw the truth. And he alone could lead the Sith back to the way of the dark side. He wouldn't be foolish enough to say so, of course. The Brotherhood would never follow him. Neither would Cordis or any of the others at the Academy. Weak and ignorant as they were, they could still overwhelm him with their numbers. If he was to restore the Sith to their true glory, he would need an ally. Not one of the masters, they were all too close to Khan, and the apprentices were nothing but groveling servants blindly following their masters. They had no real understanding of the dark side. They didn't sense that they were being led down a false path. Not a single one of them was worthy. No, Bane corrected himself. 
There was one. Githany. She wasn't intimidated by the Masters. She had defied them to train Bane. The fact that she'd done it for her own selfish reasons only offered further proof that she understood the true nature of the dark side. He wished now that he had spoken to her before he'd left the Academy. He could have at least tried to explain why he had to go. She had been disappointed in him for letting Sirak survive, rightfully so. But in the end, he was the one who had turned away from her. He was the one who left her behind while he went in search of Korriban's hidden secrets. What could she possibly think of him now? As he reached the edge of the temple grounds, the scents of the midday meal being prepared in the kitchens wafted out to him, driving all other thoughts from his mind. Mouth watering and stomach rumbling, he hobbled up the steps toward the ever-nearing prospect of food. The news that Bane had returned did not sit well with Cordus. The timing couldn't have been worse. Lord Khan had sent an urgent message. Everyone from the Academy was to come to Rusan to join the battle against the Jedi. The apprentices were all to be presented with lightsabers and given seats in the Brotherhood of Darkness, elevating them to the ranks of the Dark Lords of the Sith. It wouldn't do to show up with one of his most powerful students being as defiant as Bane had been at their last meeting. It would be even worse if Bane spurned the offer and went off on his own, disobeying the command to go to Rusan. Lord Khan had managed to keep the Brotherhood together, but it was an alliance that was always on the verge of disintegrating. In the face of their repeated failure to drive the Jedi from Rusan, the refusal of one prominent Sith to fall into line might be all it took to make everything unravel. One defection could lead to others, and things would return to a state of chaos. Sith fighting Sith as the various Dark Lords sought to dominate and destroy their rivals. The Jedi would survive and rebuild their order, all the while laughing at the foolishness of their mortal enemies. If only Bane had perished out in the wastes of Korriban. Unfortunately, he had returned, and Cordus couldn't do anything to eliminate him now. Not after Khan's directive. They had need of every lightsaber and every Sith, especially one as strong as Bane, for the sake of the Brotherhood. For the sake of Lord Khan's glorious vision, Cordus would have to find some way to make amends. News that Bane had returned spread quickly through the Academy. Sirak wasn't surprised. If anything, he was relieved. When Master Cordus had informed the students they would soon be shipping out to Rusan, he'd feared they would leave before Bane returned, denying him his vengeance. Instead, fortune had smiled on him. He'd have to act quickly, though. Once they left Korriban, it would be too late. Lord Khan would have all the apprentices swear vows of loyalty and fealty to each other when they joined the Brotherhood. Killing his enemy after that would be an act of betrayal punishable by death. He wanted revenge, but not at the cost of his own life. He knew Yivra and Loke would help him. But he'd need more than them to destroy an enemy as strong as Bane. He needed Githany. Knocking on the door to her room, he waited for her to call Enter before going in. She was lying on her bed, looking casual and relaxed. In contrast, Sirak felt taut as a wire stretched beyond its limit. He's back, was all he said. When, 
She didn't need to ask who he was talking about. He staggered in an hour ago, maybe less. He went straight to the kitchens. The kitchens? She seemed surprised, or offended. No doubt she'd expected him to come to her first. He's vulnerable, Sirak pointed out, his hand dropping to the hilt of his newly acquired lightsaber. Half-starved, exhausted. We should go after him now. Don't be stupid, she snapped. What would the masters do to us if we chopped him down in the kitchens? She was right. Do you have a plan? She nodded. Tonight, wait in the archives. I'll bring him to you there. I'll bring Yivra and Loke. A sour grimace puckered up her face. I suppose we'll need them, she conceded, making no effort to hide her distaste. Sirak's mouth twisted into a cruel grin. I only ask one more thing. Let me be the one who deals the killing blow. Bane collapsed into his bed, his belly full to bursting. He'd gorged himself in the kitchen, tearing into the food with the manners of a Gamorian soldier at the barracks trough. He'd stuffed himself with everything in sight until his ravenous hunger was sated. It was only then that he remembered he hadn't actually slept in nearly two weeks. Hunger had given way to exhaustion, and he'd wandered from the kitchen to his room in a daze. Within seconds, he had dropped into a deep, dreamless sleep. He woke several hours later to a knocking at his door. Still groggy, he forced himself to his feet, lit a glow rod, and opened the door. Cordis was standing in the hall. He barged in without waiting for an invitation, closing the door behind him. Bane was too busy trying to shake off the last vestiges of sleep to protest. Welcome back, Bane, the master said. I trust your journey was educational. Puzzled at Cordis's cordial tone, Bane only nodded. I hope you understand now why I let you go, Cordis said. Because you were too much of a coward to try and stop me, Bane thought, but didn't say anything aloud. This was the final phase of your training, the master continued. You had to understand why we have abandoned the old ways. This is a new age, and you could understand that only once you recognized the old age was truly gone. Bane maintained his stoic silence, not agreeing with Cordis, but unwilling to argue the point. Now that you have learned your final lesson, the Academy has nothing left to teach you. On that point, at least, they were in complete agreement. You are no longer an apprentice, Bane. You are now fit to join the ranks of the Masters. You are now a Dark Lord of the Sith. He paused, as if expecting some kind of reaction. Bane stood still as the stone statues he'd seen guarding the tombs of the ancient Sith and some of the older crypts. Cordis cleared his throat, breaking the uncomfortable silence. I know Lord Kasim has already given you a lightsaber. I too have a gift for you. He held out his hand, a lightsaber crystal in his palm. When Bane hesitated, Cordis spoke again. Take it, Lord Bane. He put a special emphasis on the new title. It sounded sour in Bane's ears, an empty honor bestowed by a fool who believed himself a master. 
but he said nothing as the other continued speaking. This synthetic crystal is stronger than the one powering your lightsaber now, Chorus assured him, and it is much, much stronger than the natural crystals the Jedi use in their own weapons. Moving slowly, Bane reached out and took it in his hand. It was cold to the touch at first, but as he gripped it, the six-sided stone quickly grew warm. The timing of your return from the wastes couldn't have been better, Cordis continued. We are making preparations to leave Korriban. Lord Khan has need of us on Rusan. All the Sith must be united in the Brotherhood of Darkness if we are to defeat the Jedi. The Brotherhood will fail, Bane stated, boldly declaring what he knew to be true, only because he knew the other wouldn't believe. Khan does not understand the dark side. He is leading you down the path of ruin. Cordis drew in a sharp breath, then spat it out in an angry hiss. Some might consider that talk to be treason, Lord Bane. You would do well to keep such ideas to yourself in the future. He wheeled away and strode angrily to the door, wrenching it open. His reaction was exactly as Bane had expected. The tall master spun back to face Bane one more time. You may be a Dark Lord now, Bane, but there's still much about the Dark Side you do not understand. Join the Brotherhood, and we can teach you what we know. Reject us, and you will never find what you seek. The master stalked out. Bane watched silently as the door swung shut behind him. Cordis was wrong about the Brotherhood. But he was right about one thing. There was still much about the dark side Bane needed to understand. And there was only one place in the galaxy he could go to learn it. Chapter 20 Bane crawled back into bed after Cordis left. He thought about going to see Githany, but he was still exhausted. Tomorrow, he thought as he drifted off to sleep. Several hours later, he was again disturbed by a knock on his door. This time he felt more refreshed when he woke. He sat up quickly and lit a glow rod, casting the room in soft light. There were no windows in his chamber, but he guessed it must be close to midnight, well past curfew. He rose to his feet and went to greet his second uninvited visitor. This time he was not disappointed when he opened the door. Can I come in? Githany whispered. Bane stepped aside catching the scent of her perfume as she brushed past him. As he silently closed the door behind her, she walked over to the bed and sat down on the edge. She patted the space beside her, and Bane dutifully sat down, turning slightly so he could look her in the eye. Why are you here? he asked. Why did you leave? she responded. It's, uh, it's hard to explain. You were right about what happened with Sirak. I should have finished him, but I didn't. I was foolish and weak. I didn't want to admit that to you. You left the academy so you wouldn't have to face me. The words sounded compassionate, as if she were seeking to understand him, but Bane could sense the contempt beneath them. No, he explained. I didn't leave because of you. I left because you were the only one who recognized my failing. Everyone else congratulated me for my great victory, Kasim, Cordis, everyone. 
They were blind to the true nature of the dark side. As blind as I had been, until you opened my eyes. I left because the Academy had nothing more to offer me. I went to the Valley of the Dark Lords, hoping to find the answers I couldn't find here. And you never thought to come tell me all this? Her voice had changed. The veil of false compassion was gone. Now she just sounded angry. Angry and hurt. Bane was relieved that she still felt strongly enough about him to reveal some genuine emotion. I should have come to you, he admitted. I acted rashly. I let my anger at Cordis drive me away. She nodded. Passion and reckless actions were something he knew Githany could relate to. I've answered your question, he said. Now you answer mine. Why are you here? She hesitated, her teeth biting down softly on her lower lip. Bane recognized the unconscious gesture. It meant she was lost in thought trying to sort something out. Not here, she said at last, rising stiffly from the bed. I have something to show you. In the archives. Without looking back to see if he was following, she made her way from his room and into the dim hall beyond, moving quickly. Bane scrambled to his feet and trotted after her, breaking into a jog to keep up. She stared straight ahead her boots making crisp snaps as they struck the stone floor with each brisk stride. The sharp sound echoed in the empty halls, but Githany appeared not to care. Bane could tell that something was bothering her, but he had no idea what it could be. They found the door to the archives open. Githany didn't seem surprised. She passed right through without slowing down. Bane paused for only an instant before following her. At the far side of the room, beyond the rows of shelves, she stopped and turned to face him. There was an expression he couldn't quite decipher on her haughty but beautiful features. He crossed to the middle of the room, then stopped short when she held up her hand, palm extended. Githany, he said, perplexed. What's going? His words were cut off by the hollow boom of the archive door slamming shut behind him. He whirled around to see Sirak, flanked by Yivra and Loke. The Zabrak's pale yellow lips were pulled back in a cruel smile so wide it gave him the appearance of a grinning skull. Bane couldn't help but notice the lightsaber handles dangling from the belts of all three. When Githany spoke from behind him, he had to resist the urge to turn and face her. It wouldn't be wise to expose his back to the Zabrak trio. Why did you follow me, Bane? She asked. Her voice, a mixture of anger, disgust, and regret. How could you be so stupid? Didn't you realize you were walking into a trap? Githany had betrayed him. The conversation in his room had been a test, one that he'd failed. He knew her well enough to expect something like this. He should have been wary of a trap. Instead, he'd been a blind and obedient fool. He knew he'd brought this on himself. Now... He had to discern a way out. Is this what you want, Githany? He asked, trying to stall for time. She wants what all Sith want. Sirak answered for her. Power. Victory. She knows to side with the strong. I'm stronger than he is, Bane told Githany. I proved that in the dueling ring. There's more to strength than physical prowess. Sirak replied, igniting his lightsaber. It was the double-bladed variety. Bane's eyes were focused squarely on the bright red blades, but he heard the hiss as the other two Zabrak followed suit. Githany, however, 
still hadn't fired up her whip. Strength means more than just the ability to use the Force, Sira continued, starting to advance. It means intelligence, cunning, ruthlessness. You know how easily I defeated you in the ring, Bane said, finally speaking directly to Sirak, though his words were still meant for Githany. Are you so certain you can defeat me now? Four against one, Bane, and you left your lightsaber back in your chambers. I like those odds. Bane laughed and turned his back on Sirak. The Zabrak was close enough to lunge in and kill him with one blow, but Bane was gambling he would hold back, wary of being lured into a trap. It was a dangerous gamble, but he wanted to be looking directly into Githany's eyes when he spoke what might be his last words. This fool actually believes you brought me here for his sake, he said to her. Behind him, he could sense Sirak's confusion and uncertainty. No attack came yet. Githany met his stare with a cold, unflinching gaze and didn't answer. But her teeth worried her lower lip. We both know why you brought me here, Githany, he said, speaking quickly. Sirak wouldn't wait for long. You don't want to side with Sirak. You've been plotting ways to get me to kill him ever since you first arrived. Enough! Sirak shouted. Bane threw himself forward, rolling out of the way at the last second as the double-bladed lightsaber sliced a deep furrow into the spot where he'd been standing. As he rolled to his feet, he saw Githany move. When she tossed his lightsaber to him, he was already extending his hand and using the force to guide the hilt into his grasp. The weapon flared to life, and he turned just in time to block Sirak's charge. Yivra and Loke were a few meters behind, rushing forward to join the fray. Bane counterattacked, slashing down at Sirak's legs. The Zabrak parried the blow, and their blades collided with a burning hum. On the edge of his awareness, Bane heard the sound of Githany's whip igniting. A quick flurry caused Sirak to retreat. Bane fainted, as if he was going to press forward, then took a step back, opening a full meter of space between them. It gave him just enough time to cast out his arm in the direction of the unsuspecting Yivra. Catching her up with the force, he hurled her against one of the nearby shelves hard enough to splinter the wood. She crumpled to the floor, dazed. Before she had a chance to rise, Githany lashed out with her whip and ended the Zabrak female's life. Bane barely had time to register her death before Loke was on him. The redskin Zabrak was overmatched, but his grief and rage empowered him, and he drove his much larger opponent back with a brutal series of desperate slashes and strikes. Staggering back, Bane was almost too distracted to see Sirak unleashing a bolt of crackling blue lightning at him. At the last second, he twisted and caught the potentially lethal blast with the blade of his lightsaber, absorbing its energy. The move had been one of instinct and last resort, and it had left him vulnerable to a single quick thrust from Loke. But Githany's whip was snapping and cracking at Loke's eyes and face, and his blade was busy frantically warding off the blows. Bane turned his attention back to Sirak, who hesitated. At that moment, there was a scream from Loke. He had misjudged the erratic path of Githany's energy whip and lost an eye. A second scream would have followed, but she gashed open his throat, the burning tip of her weapon searing his vocal cords so he died in agonized silence. Outnumbered, 
Sirak extinguished his lightsaber, dropped it to the ground, and fell to his knees. Please, Bane, he begged, his voice cracking. I yield. You are a true Sith Lord. I know that now, Githany whispered. End it now, Bane. Bane advanced until he towered over his groveling foe. Suddenly, it wasn't just Sirak he saw before him. It was everyone he'd ever struck down. Every life he'd ever taken. Foharg the Makurth, the nameless Republic soldier he killed in Apatros. His father. He was responsible for their deaths. Even now they weighed on him. Guilt over Foharg's death had left him numb to the dark side for months. It had shackled him like iron. He didn't want to suffer through that again. Listen to me, Sirak pleaded. I'll serve you. I'll do anything you command. You can use me. I can help you. Please, Bane. Have mercy. Bane steeled himself. Those who ask for mercy, he answered coldly, are too weak to deserve it. His blade decapitated his helpless foe. The torso remained upright for a full second. The charred edges of the cauterized stump, where the head had once been attached, still smoking. Then it toppled forward. Staring down at it, Bane felt only one thing. Freedom. The guilt, the shame, the weight of responsibility had all vanished in that single decisive act. He had opened himself to the dark side completely. It surged through him, filling him with confidence and power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. He turned to see Githany smiling, her eyes filled with hunger. I, of all people, should have known better than to underestimate you, she said. You saw me take your lightsaber. That's why you followed me. No, Bane replied still heady from the rush of killing his enemy. I didn't see anything. I was just guessing. For a brief moment, her expression darkened. Then she burst out with a laugh. You never cease to amaze me, Lord Bane. Don't call me that, he said. Why not? she asked. Cordis has given all the students the rank of Dark Lord of the Sith. Seeing him wince, she stepped forward and wrapped her arms around his neck, looking up into his face. Bane, she breathed. We're going to fight the Jedi. We're going to join Lord Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness. He reached up and grasped her delicate hands in his own massive ones, then gently unwound her arms from around his neck. Puzzled, she offered no resistance as he brought his hands together at his chest, her own clasped between them. How could he make her understand? He was of the dark side now. Sirak's execution had been the final step. He had crossed the threshold. There was no going back. He would never hesitate again, never doubt again. The transformation he had begun when he'd first come to the Academy was complete. He was Sith. Now, more than ever, he understood the failings of the Brotherhood. Khan is a fool, Githany. He said, staring intently into her eyes to read her expression. She recoiled slightly and tried to pull her hands away. He held them tight. You've never even met Lord Khan, she said defensively. I have. He's a great man, Bane. 
a man of vision. He's blind as an Orkelian cave slug, Bane insisted. The Brotherhood of Darkness, this academy, everything the Sith have become is a monument to his ignorance. He clasped her hands even more tightly. Come with me. There is nothing left for us on Korriban and only death on Rusan. But I know somewhere else we can go. A place where the dark side is still strong. She squirmed her hands free and pulled away from him. Lord Khan has united the Sith in a single glorious cause. We can join them on Rusan. Then go! Bane spat. Join the others on Rusan! Be united with them in their defeat! He turned and stormed angrily away as she called out, Wait, Bane! Wait! If she had made any move to follow him, he might have. Bane kicked open the door to Cordis's chamber. It slammed against the wall with a crash that reverberated down the hall. The Academy's master had been awake and already dressed, meditating on the mat in the center of his room. Now he leapt to his feet, anger darkening his face. What is the meaning of this? Did you send Sirak to kill me? Bane blurted out. The time for subtlety was gone. What? I... Did something happen to Sirak? I killed him. Yivra and Loke, too. Their bodies are in the archives. The shock and horror of his reaction made it clear that Cordis had known nothing about the attack. You did this on the eve of our departure for Rusan? He asked, his voice rising shrilly. A few of the other masters had gathered in the corridor outside, drawn by Bane's loud arrival. A handful of the students as well. Bane didn't care. You can go to Rusan, Bane snapped. I will have nothing to do with the Brotherhood of Darkness. You are a student of this academy, Cordis reminded him. You will do as you are told. I am a Dark Lord of the Sith, Bane countered. I serve no one but myself. Glancing over Bane's shoulder at the gathering crowd of curious onlookers, Cordis dropped his voice to a threatening whisper. We leave for Rusan tomorrow, Lord Bane. You will be coming with us. This is not a matter for discussion. I am leaving tonight, Bane replied, lowering his voice to match and mock the tone of Cordis's own. And none of you here is strong enough to stop me. He turned his back on the head of the academy and walked slowly from the room. For a brief second, he felt the spurned master gathering the force, and Bane braced himself for a confrontation. But a second later, he felt the power fading away. At the threshold, he halted. When he spoke, he was addressing the assembled gawkers as much as Cordis. Someone here once told me the Darth title was no longer used because it promoted rivalry among the Sith. It gave the Jedi an easy target. It was easier to just abandon the custom. To have all the Sith Masters use the same title of Dark Lord. He raised his voice slightly, speaking loud enough for all to hear. But I know the truth, Cordis. I know why none of you claims that name for yourself. Fear. You're cowards. He half turned and looked back at Cordis. None of the Brotherhood is worthy of the Darth title. Least of all you. There was a gasp from the assemblage. Some of the students stepped back, expecting some type of reaction. 
Of course, there was none. Shaking his head in disgust, Bane left them there. As he passed the other masters, Kasim stepped in front of him, placing a hand on his chest. Don't go, the Blade Master said. Let's talk about this. If you just meet with Khan, you'll understand. That's all I ask, Bane. It's Darth Bane, he said, slapping the Twi'lek's hand away and pushing past him. Nobody else tried to stop him as he made his way through the temple's halls. Nobody tried to follow him or even called out as he mounted the stairs to the small landing pad on the roof. There was only a single ship at the starport. The Valsen, a T-class long-range personal cruiser. The blade-shaped vessel was one of the finest in the Sith fleet, equipped with the latest and most advanced technology. It had arrived just the day before, a gift from Khan to Cordis, in recognition of his work with the apprentices at the academy. Bane lowered the access hatch and climbed inside. During his stint in the military, he'd been given rudimentary training in the basics of piloting a standard hyperdrive vessel. Fortunately, the Valsen's controls matched all intergalactic standards of operation and were designed for ease of use. He sat himself down in the pilot's chair and fired up the thrusters, punching in the hyperspace coordinates of his destination even as he began the liftoff sequence. A moment later, the Valsen rose up from the landing pad surface then shot off into the atmosphere, leaving Korriban and the Academy behind. Part 3 Chapter 21 Lord Hoth Jedi Master and Acting General of the Republic Forces on Rusan sat huddled on a stump outside his tent and stared up at the dark clouds hovering above the camp. He scowled at the brooding sky as if he could banish the coming storm with the fierceness of his expression. Is something troubling you, Lord Hoth? The voice of Master Pernikar, his longtime friend and right hand during this never-ending campaign, snapped his attention back to where it belonged. Ah, what isn't troubling me, Pernikar? He asked with a heavy sigh. We're low on food and med packs. Our injured outnumber our hail. The scouts report that reinforcements are on their way to assist Khan and his Sith. He slapped his hand down on one knee. All we have coming to our aid are youths and children. Children who are strong in the Force, Pernikar reminded him. If we don't recruit them to our side... The Sith will claim them for theirs. Blast it, Pernikar. They're just children. I need Jedi. Fully trained. All we can spare. But there are still members of our own order who refuse to help us. Perhaps it's how you ask them. A new voice said from behind him. Hoth rubbed his temples but didn't turn to face the speaker. Lord Valentine Farfalla had been one of the first Jedi Masters to join the Army of Light on Rusan. He had fought in nearly every confrontation, and the Sith had come to know him well. Farfalla was hard to miss, even in the chaos of battle. He had long, flowing curls of golden hair that hung down past his shoulders. The breastplate of his armor was also gold, buffed and polished until it gleamed before every battle. It was trimmed with bright red sleeves and adorned with rubies that matched the color of his eyes and contrasted with his pale skin. 
Lord Hoth found him insufferable. Farfalla was a loyal servant of the Light, but he was also a vain and prancing fool who spent more time selecting his wardrobe before each battle than he did planning strategy. Farfalla was the last person he wanted to deal with now. If you showed more tact, Lord Hoth, Farfalla continued, gliding into view, you might have rallied more Jedi to your cause. I shouldn't have to persuade them, Hoth roared, leaping to his feet and waving his arms in exasperation. Farfalla hopped nimbly out of the way. We're fighting the Sith! The dark side must be destroyed! We could do it if more Jedi were here! There are some who don't see it that way, Pernikar said calmly. He had become used to Hoth's outbursts during their time on Rusan, and had learned to ignore them for the most part. There are other Republic worlds besides this one that are under attack, Farfalla chimed in. Many Jedi are aiding the Republic troops in other sectors, helping them against the Sith fleets. Hoth spat on the ground and was pleased to see Farfalla's look of horrified disgust. Those fleets might fly the banner of the Sith, but they're made up of ordinary beings. The Republic has the numbers to beat them back. They don't need the help of the Jedi to do it. All the real Sith, the Dark Lords, are here now. If we defeat the Brotherhood of Darkness, the Sith Rebellion will collapse. Don't they understand that? There was a long silence as the other two exchanged uneasy looks. It was Pernikar who finally found the courage to answer. Some of the Jedi believe we shouldn't be here. They feel the only thing keeping the Brotherhood together is their hatred of the Army of Light. They claim if we disband and surrender Rusan, then the Sith will quickly turn against each other, and the Brotherhood will tear itself apart. Hoth shook his head in disbelief. Don't they see what a great opportunity we have here? We can wipe out the followers of the Dark Side once and for all! Some might argue that is not the purpose of our order, Farfalla suggested gently. The Jedi are defenders of the Republic. They feel the Army of Light is prolonging the rebellion by strengthening the Sith resolve. They say you are actually causing harm to the Republic you were sworn to defend. Is that what you think? Hoth snarled. Lord Farfalla has been with us since the beginning, Pernica reminded him. He's only telling you what others are saying. Those Jedi who have not come to Rusan. The Sith are getting reinforcements from Korriban, Hoth grumbled. We barely have enough numbers to hold them off as it is. I'll just have to make them understand. We would probably have more success if someone else approached them, Farfalla said. There are some who believe this has become a personal vendetta for you. They do not see Rusan as the ultimate struggle between the light and the dark, but rather as a feud between you and Lord Khan. Hoth sat back down wearily. Then we're doomed. Without reinforcements, we will be overwhelmed. Farfalla crouched down beside him, laying a perfectly manicured, heavily perfumed hand on Hoth's brawny shoulder. It took every ounce of the general's Jedi discipline not to shrug him off. Send me, my lord, Farfalla said earnestly. I have been here since the beginning, 
I believe in this cause as strongly as you. Why should they listen to you any more than me? Farfalla gave a high, twittering laugh that set Hoth's teeth on edge. My lord, for all your skill in battle and all your strength in the Force, you are somewhat lacking in the delicate art of diplomacy. You are a brilliant general, and your taciturn nature serves you well when giving orders to your troops. Unfortunately, it can set those who are not under your command on edge. You're too blunt, my lord, Pernikar clarified. That's what I just said, Farfalla insisted with just a hint of annoyance. Then he continued, On the other hand, people find me witty and charming. I can be quite persuasive when necessary. Give me leave to recruit others to our cause, and I will return with a hundred, no, three hundred Jedi ready to join the Army of Light. Hoth dropped his head into his hands again. His temples were throbbing. Farfalla always seemed to have that effect on him. Go, he muttered without looking up. If you're so certain you can bring me reinforcements, then bring them. Farfalla gave an extravagant bow, then turned with a flourish and left, his golden locks streaming out behind him in the rising wind of the coming storm. As soon as he was out of earshot, Pernikar spoke again. Is that wise, my lord? Our numbers are already thin. How long do you think we can survive without him? The rain began to fall in great heavy drops, and an idea sprang into Hoth's mind. The Sith can't defeat us if we don't stand and fight, he said. We won't give them a chance. The wet season is here. The rains will make it impossible for the trackers to find us. We'll hide in the forest parrying them with quick attacks and ambushes before we vanish back into the trees. That strategy won't work once the dry season comes, Pernikar warned. If Farfalla hasn't brought me my reinforcements by then, it won't matter, Hoth replied. The five interlopers, small mid-range multi-troop transport ships used by the Sith, swept in low over Rusan's horizon. Each vessel carried a crew of ten, comprised entirely of former students and masters from Korriban's academy. In the lead ship, Githany worked the controls with the calm precision of a highly trained pilot. She'd actually learned to fly on a Republic vessel, but the basics were the same. The interlopers were lighter and quicker than the bivouac transports preferred by the Republic. The interlopers had less armor plating, sacrificing the safety of the occupants inside in exchange for greater range and maneuverability. As if to prove the point, she banked her vessel down and hard to port, bringing it so close to the planet's surface that the leaves on the trees of Rusan's great forest trembled in the wake of the ion drive. The other vessels followed her lead, never breaking formation. Linked to Githany through the Force, the other pilots reacted in perfect unison to her every move. If she made a mistake, the entire convoy would go down. But Githany didn't make mistakes. It might be safer to climb higher above the tree line. Lord Cordus observed from his seat at Githany's side in the cockpit. I don't want the Jedi picking anything up on their scanners, she explained. Her attention focused on keeping the ship from smashing into the ocean of wood mere meters below the hull. 
The Brotherhood hasn't secured this region. If a squad of Seekers locks onto us, these transports aren't equipped with enough firepower to hold them off. Far in the distance, half a dozen small fighters came into view, their trajectory bringing them on a direct line to intercept the interloper's path. Cordis swore, and Githany braced herself to begin evasive maneuvers. A second later, she recognized the distinctive outline of the Sith buzzards and breathed a sigh of relief. Our escort's here, she said. They'd be at the Sith base camp in a few minutes. And with the buzzards there to pick off any incoming Jedi fighters, there was no need to fly so dangerously close to the treetops anymore. She could have eased back on the stick to bring the ship up to a safer altitude. Instead, she held her course. She enjoyed the thrill of being one tiny miscue from an instantaneous and fiery end. From his rigid posture in the co-pilot's chair, it was clear Cordis didn't share her opinion. Once they cleared the forest, she throttled back their speed, then brought the ship down gracefully in the landing field at the edge of Lord Khan's encampment. A small collection of Sith Masters, Khan standing at their head, waited to greet the reinforcements as they disembarked. They might have been only fifty in number, but each of them was a Sith Lord, more powerful than an entire division of soldiers. As she made her way down the ship's exit ramp, Githany was quick to understand why their presence had been so urgently requested. Beyond the assemblage of Dark Lords, the rest of the camp spread out to the limits of her vision, and all she could see was a picture of grim despair. Ragged, ramshackle tents arranged in tight rings of five housed the bulk of the army, cloth domicile stained and torn by wind and rain. Scattered among them were repulsor craft, heavy turrets, and other instruments of war. The equipment was caked with dried mud and spots of rust, as if efforts to keep it properly maintained had been abandoned. The troops were spread out in small pockets, huddled around cook fires built in the circles of tents. Their uniforms were covered in dust and grime. Many wore dirty bandages over wounds they had given up all hope of keeping clean or sterile. Their faces were all scarred by the bitter taste of far too many defeats at the hands of their enemy and it was the hopelessness of their expressions that made the greatest impression. Lord Cordes seemed similarly taken aback at the dismal scene, and he grimaced as Lord Khan approached. Khan appeared thin, his face drawn and etched with lines of worry. His hair was bedraggled and unkempt. A day's worth of stubble shadowed his chin, making him look old and weary. He seemed physically smaller than Githany remembered him, diminished, less commanding. The spark she'd found so compelling when she'd first met him was no longer there. His eyes had once burned with the fire of a man absolutely confident of his imminent success. Now they burned with something else. Desperation. Madness, perhaps? She couldn't help but wonder if Bane had been right. Welcome, Lord Cordis, Khan said, grasping the newcomer's arm in greeting. He released his grip and turned to address the rest of them. Welcome all of you to Rusan. I didn't expect to see your army in such sorry shape, Cordis mumbled. A look that might have been anger flickered across Khan's features. Then it was gone, replaced by the beaming confidence Githany remembered. He threw his shoulders back and stood a little straighter. You can't judge the victor of a war without seeing the condition of both sides he said crisply. The Jedi are in far worse shape. 
My intelligence reports that their casualties are far greater than ours. Their supplies are running low. Their numbers are dwindling. We have med packs, food, and greater numbers. And they do not have fresh reinforcements. He lifted his voice so that it carried throughout the camp, his words booming across the tented landscape. Now that you are here, the Brotherhood of Darkness is at last whole. The troops in camp paused and looked up at him. A few rose expectantly to their feet. There was fire in that single bold statement. It rekindled hope from the damp ashes of their fatigue and despair. The full power of the Sith Lords is now united here on Rusan, he continued, projecting his words to even the most distant of his followers. Reaching out to them with the undeniable power of the Force, he fed them, rejuvenated them, and filled their hollow spirits. We are strong! Stronger than the Jedi! We are the champions of the Dark Side! And we will crush Lord Hoth and his servants of light! A great shout roared up from his troops. Those who were seated leapt to their feet. Those who were standing thrust their fists up in the air. The echo of their cheers shook the camp like a groundquake. Githany felt it as surely as the rest of the troops. It was more than just the words. It was the way he said them. All her doubts and fears simply vanished, crushed by the weight of that single brief speech. It was as if she had been compelled to obey by a power greater than herself. They made their way through the camp, reveling in the newfound optimism of the troops, as Lord Khan led them to the great tent where he convened his war sessions. A thick-set Twi'lek fell into step beside Lord Cordis just ahead of Githany. Swept up in the moment, it took her several seconds to remember him. Lord Kopej. Where's Bay?